to uh, look at a little bit different uh, subject matter, although uh, much of what uh, we're going to talk about today has tied, uh, ties into our study in the book of John. Uh, we're just not quite there to John chapter 11 yet, uh, because John chapter 11 talks about uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Uh, they happen to be related to one another. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today, uh, uh, kind of a, a, um, a message that's kind of been on my heart for some time, uh, and I've preached it, uh, some of it you've heard, some of you've heard, uh, when I preached at the uh, Senior Saints Day uh, at Camp Shatek, and I've uh, uh, continued to develop that and feel like this would be a good time to uh, uh, talk about this particular area. And it's, uh, I'm going to entitle it, Who Are You Worshiping? Uh, we're fast approaching two of the three major days that are celebrated not only by Christians, but by even the unbelieving world as well. Uh, in fact, the first one is just ahead, and that is Thanksgiving. This is kind of the, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and so uh, which is Thanksgiving Sunday? Well, it really doesn't fall on, thang- on Sunday, does it? It falls on a Thursday. And uh, yet, uh, it's uh, some of the thinking that we have uh, surrounding uh, this particular holiday. The other one, the next one is Christmas. That's a little over a month away. And then the third one is spring, uh, in spring, and that's Easter. Uh, The second two are the most predominant or predominant, uh, uh, being the two days when um, many people uh, who never darken the, the church door, pull themselves together to go to church. They pat themselves on the back and they say, yes, uh, we were in church twice this year, and so we're regular attenders. Um, so what is the most predominant reason, though, why people, Christians and non-Christians alike, make a big deal out of these days? Well, is it because Thanksgiving, they're so grateful to God for all the wonderful blessings and provisions through the past year? Or is it eating turkey and watching football? Uh, Is it because at Christmas they desire to worship the Christ child who came to this world to save the lost? Or is it shopping and the gifts? At Easter, uh, is it resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Or is it bunnies and eggs and or hunting candy? I submit to you that none of these reasons are the most predominant reasons people get excited about these days. I submit that it is family. Family. Now, even though these days can bring on tension and even domestic disputes in some households, uh, people will do almost anything to be with family. And we have stories of people, uh, military uh, people, coming home for Thanksgiving. I've already seen those on the news. Uh, Military people coming home and being home for Thanksgiving. Or we have uh, them coming home for Christmas. Uh, Many uh, Hallmark movies and Christmas plays have the theme, Home for Christmas. And then we have all of our family traditions, right? Uh, We must eat. And we must eat a certain meal with certain items on the food uh, or on the menu. Uh, we have activities that uh, we don't, if we don't do them every year, then it's just not been celebrated right. I remember back when I was a boy, uh, we would go to my grandmother's house and every Thanksgiving we would have ham. Uh, it was ham every time. It wasn't tur- turkey. I don't know. You eat turkey at your house. That's fine. We ate ham 
We did it at, 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 um, at Thanksgiving. We did it at Christmas. Uh, and then also uh, uh, other things that would be uh, very always on the menu. And uh, yet uh, I'm not criticizing the things that we do that we call traditions. Uh, it, because often maybe this is a time we only see some of our extended family members. But for the most part, we have a great time, even though we spend too much money and we eat too much food. So what I do want to address today, and uh, this is not to put a damper on your gatherings during the holiday uh, celebrations, but it's an an area which I think needs to be addressed. And I'm talking about what I believe is one of the greatest issues in our churches today. And I've Probably you've heard me say this before. My oldest granddaughter once said, I don't like issues, uh, but every church is made up of people. And when you have people, you have issues. But this is an issue that causes people to be unfaithful in attendance. Uh, It causes people to be offended. Uh, It causes people to be blinded to the truth of God's word. And I want to speak about the American Idol. And you'll soon see I'm not talking about a TV talent show, but an idol that is plaguing Christianity today. You know, everyone believes in something, either the true God or an idol. And the first of God's Ten Commandments warns against and forbids idols in Exodus chapter 20. Idols are whatever Satan and the world system offers in replacement to God. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 says, men suppress God out of rebellion. The Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 that they don't want a boss. They don't want someone to rule over them. They don't want someone to uh, be in charge of them because they want to walk after their own lusts, their own ways. And many things can become an idol, but I want to talk about an idol that Jesus talked about. And what might be called an American idol is the idol of the family. Now, some of you may not like what I'm going to say. And perhaps uh, you've already started putting up your defenses. But I believe this is an issue that has biblical basis. And I think most of you know me as well, uh, well enough that I'm not going to get base a message off just opinion or something I, uh, that, that is my opinion or some feeling. You know, everything that is an idol is something that God created. You ever think about that? Everything that's an idol is something that God created. You know, men worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. You know what? God created the family, didn't he? The family might not be an idol, but it isn't God, and God created it so it can be one. And very often, the family will supplant God. In Numbers chapter 21, God told Moses to make a bronze snake. Put it on a pole for men to look at and they would be be saved. They would live. Jesus talked about it in John chapter 3. We uh, It's been a while since we've been in John chapter 3, but we saw there that Jesus talked about this brazen serpent, this bronze snake. And yet in 2 Kings 18, Hezekiah destroyed that very image because the people had made it into an idol. They had burned incense to it. What am I saying? Well, even something of God's design can become an idol. And the great commandment is to love God. The second is to love your neighbor. 
Now, I don't think there's any doubt in your minds that my wife and I dearly love our family. Uh, we've talked about them. We've uh, shown you pictures of them. We've, uh, uh, in fact, we just spent a couple of days uh, visiting uh, some of our family. We had two of our daughters uh, moving. They changed locations. Uh, they didn't go very far in their respective cities, but they, they changed locations. Uh, my daughter in the Twin Cities moved, and my daughter in Florida moved. Now, whose do you think was the, the easier move? Well, uh, if you talk about 70, 80 degrees uh, uh, moving or 20, 30 degrees, uh, that I think uh, they probably had a better time at it down in Florida. But they both got it done. And uh, we would have liked to have helped them out in Florida, but uh, we were able to be an encouragement and help our daughter in the Twin Cities. Now, we love our family. We love our children. We love our grandchildren. Uh, even uh, though some of them are adopted, they're very special, and we're going to have a couple more being adopted here very soon. And yet we don't see them very often. And we love our families. And you might say, you love your families. I trust you do. But you know, sometimes love is often replaced by sentimentalism when it comes to family. When people don't love their family, but they use their family as an excuse for not loving God or not loving their neighbor. And it isn't love for family, but many times it's sentimentalism. Now this so-called love for family is an enemy of the actual love for the family, and the family rather... Uh, uh, then a means to the end becomes the end in itself. And so as an end, then it becomes an idol. You know, America is itself gullible on the family. Sentimentalism is kind of bred into the American life. Uh, you see the normal Norman Rockwell paintings with families at the kitchen table. And I've alluded to already stories are written and films are produced of this idyllic portrait of American family with the uh, or American life with a family at the center. You even read about uh, or see uh, bumper stickers maybe, God, family, country. Uh, that's a motto that's often, uh, often used, as if it were b- biblical. And even though it isn't scriptural, the motto itself is sentimental. And in so many cases, both family and country take the place of God. Anytime family and country unseat God, they themselves will suffer. And so even as we started the message here this morning, talking about the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, they many times are just sentimental times. Sentimental uh, as a family time, uh, with all the trappings, the decorations, the presents, the food, the entertainment, the laughter. And all this creates these images and moments that people seem to cling to. And sometimes those circumstances are sabotaged by people and behavior that ruins the moment, turns it into a controversy and bitterness and arguments and sour times that are supposed to be sweet. And they'll click on the thumbs down button on the Facebook instead of the thumbs up. They'll put a frowny face instead of a happy face. But you know, we live in a day when there's a lot of family counseling that takes place, a lot of therapy, and I'm not talking about my kind of therapy. I'm talking about psychologists and 
psychiatrists and, and all this. We read about it and we observe the dysfunctional families in our country today. People striving for that perfect family. That perfect family which the Mormon denomination has thrived on in its promotion of family. Married men and women seek to be the cute couple. Looks like a successful Christian couple. Everyone gets along, everybody plays games and spends loads of family time on trips and vacations. But you know what? You've got unbelieving cute couples and believing cute couples that really like each other too. You know, a child may come along and they've got just that perfect little family with a white picket fence and a warm fireplace and one wonderful family photo where everyone's smiling in their casual matching clothes. The adorable little ones with their cute outfits, all in cute gear and latest toys, that kind of thinking like that's going to guarantee the future. It's a dream. Christians today, many times, I think, are rightly so motivated by some issues that do attack the family. You know, there are issues that we are concerned about, and they attack the family, like abortion. That is an attack on the family. School choice, homosexuality, those things attack the family, and we're rightly so concerned about them. But so many times, the sentimentalized home is becomes sacred, and the thought is that Christians will do whatever they can to protect it. So how is it that a family becomes an idol? Well, I want us to consider what Jesus and the apostles said about it. In many ways, the scripture terms have kind of been hijacked to support what Jesus was against. But notice what it says in Matthew 10, verse 35, and then verse 37. It records... What the Lord Jesus, and I want you to notice these words are from the Lord Jesus himself. They're not from some family counselor or some psychologist. They're not even from me. But he said this, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now earlier in Matthew 8, 21 and 22, Jesus preached, he said, and another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the bury, bury, uh, bury the dead. The dead bury the dead. In Matthew 12, in verse 50, we read Jesus saying, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Later in Matthew 19, in verse 29, we hear the Lord say, And everyone that hath forsaken houses and brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Now, Mark and Luke bring the same teachings, and you also read a few other gems like in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is 12 years old in the temple and his family leaves him there in Jerusalem and Mary, and he have this exchange in verses 48 and 49. It says, and when they saw him, 
they were amazed, and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? And then we saw already in, in the book of John, in our study of John, John's first or Jesus' first miracle at the wedding of Canaan. We read about another uh, conversation that Jesus had with his mother there in John 2 and verse 2 and 3. And when they wanted wine, the mother said of Jesus, saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now we could spend a long time talking about each one of these passages, but I'm going to kind of let them speak for themselves but they kind of give us the groundwork of what I'm saying here this morning. The Apostle Paul had a lot more to say, but here's the thinking, here's the practice, though I hear it and I see something contrary to what Jesus said when people make the family an idol. Let me give you seven areas that show us that family can become an idol in our lives. Seven areas. Number one, The family is uh, as an excuse. People often use family as an excuse for faithlessness for God or not serving Him. People who call themselves Christians, and they may be Christians, they may be saved, but they're using their family as an excuse for their faithlessness. It's very common, the assumption that You know, acceptance is mandatory. Uh, You know, you just can't say no to a family. When a family asks you to do something or to be someplace, you just can't say no to family. But then family isn't often the real reason, but the family card is many times the easiest one to pull. You know, I heard a preacher once say there are really two reasons to miss church service. Either you're sick or you've been providentially hindered from attending. That is, you've been in a car crash or something. And I I agree with him. You may not like that, but a family gathering is not a good reason to miss church. You say, well, give me a chapter and verse on that preacher. Well, remember what I just read in Matthew chapter 8? Matthew 8, 21 and 22. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. I've got a funeral to go to. I I can't be with you, Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, let the dead bury their dead. Well, besides the verses we've already looked at, there's also Hebrews 10.25, which says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So often we use the family as an excuse. Secondly, the tolerant family member. You know, the most popular family member is the one who kind of just lets things go. He doesn't say anything about family disobedience. And if he does, he's the worst family member there is. He's causing disunity in the family. He just doesn't get it. Now, it's not always easy to talk to your unsaved family members about the Lord, is it? Sometimes your family just doesn't want to hear your salvation story again. They don't want to hear a gospel presentation. You know, it's not even easy talking to some saved family members about things 
spiritual things sometimes, things they may be involved in that are not biblical and may be dishonoring to the Lord. You know, we say we love them and we don't want to offend them. And yet when it comes to life or death matter, which salvation is a life and death matter, or we talk, want to talk about matter of obedience to God's word, would not the greatest indication of our love for them be to confront them with the gospel or encourage them with the truth of God's word? But the easiest thing is not to say anything. Not to make waves. And so the, we tolerate their sinful ways. We just say, well, they're family, and so I'll just pray for them, and I'll just hope they get saved someday. The tolerant family member can be, be an indication that family is an idol. Thirdly, adjusting interpretation of the Bible. You know that parents sometimes adjust their interpretation of the Bible according to what their family does? It's a common basis for interpretation of Scripture, it seems. There are many examples of this. Children misbehave or they veer or they get away from God. They go. They have some new views about uh, 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 passages of Scripture. And so uh, the parents kind of accept that. Some parents have left good Bible-believing churches they were raised in. Their parents were in those churches because of the Bible convictions. They believe the Bible and they believe certain things that they've tried to pass on to their children. Perhaps it was about the gospel itself and now the children have accepted something else. And so their parents say, well, maybe if that's the way they're going, that's the way we'll go too. I've seen this in many churches where they had a godly standard of music that honored the Lord, but children accepted and bought into the worldly music with Christian words. And the parents said, well, maybe we were wrong. And if we're going to keep family unity, we'll just have to accept their, their music too. I've seen it in the textual issue. The children start using a modern version of the Bible and the parents give in accepting those corrupted versions of the Bible as well. Now, how could we as parents be wrong about, about something? Well, we could. We could be wrong about something, and we may need to change some things if our children got it right and we didn't. You know what? I rejected the compromising, unbiblical ways my parents had in the Mennonite church. My parents were in the Mennonite church. And rather than choosing that way, I chose a Bible-believing, to be a Bible-believing Baptist. But let's not change our way of thinking just to keep peace in the family. That's the wrong reason. Another way that we can make the family an idol is something we've already talked about in the sense of sentimentalizing the family, but sentimentalizing the mission of the church. Rather than fulfilling the Great Commission, churches sometimes sentimentalize the mission of the church around the family. It's You know, the church is all about family, is it? Is that what the Bible teaches us? Is that what Jesus was saying? Ever notice how the names of churches have changed? I read an article recently about how churches have changed their names and new churches that were established, and they wanted to be modern, up-to-date name, and so they would have you know, the Well Church, or the Fount Church, or the Rock Church, or the Edge Church, or the Flood Church, or the River Church. How about this? The Velocity Church. That's a good one. How about the Revolution Church, or the Elevation Church, or Celebration? 
Why not just be the cool church? There's actually a church called the cool, cool church. But one of the things that churches have done over the years, recent years, is changed their name and they've inserted the word family. Somewhere in the name, they want people to know we're all about family. So we have family centers now, not family churches, but family centers or family fellowship or a community family church. We have family integrated movement, which, by the way, has some good points, but it also has some very uh, bad points that we need to be cautious about. And there's been an increased emphasis on the family as if it was the number one top priority. That doesn't sound, again, like what Jesus was saying in the Gospels. Notice number five, edification of the family. Some would say the church is for the edification of the family. Well, that sounds good. But the church is not just for the edification of the family, but the members of the church are for the edification of the body of Christ in this location here. If the family isn't being edified, it might find somewhere else where it might occur. There are places out there. But the irony is that edification of the family isn't what is happening. Think about the reason for our gathering in our churches. What is the purpose for us being here? So that we can minister and entertain, minister to or entertain or involve our families? I think those are uh, can be some good reasons, but it's not the primary reason. Jesus' relationship priorities help us understand that the family of God is not here to serve the interests of our immediate families and its preferences, its desires, its needs. Rather, our families are here to serve the family of God. You know, as I've pastored small churches over the years, I've often had families visit our church one or two times, and when they didn't see any other children, or there were just a couple of children, and they didn't see any King's Kids or Awana program or some kind of uh, uh, program for the kids, well, then they didn't come back. They said, well, there's nothing here for our kids. You know what? There are very few families who are willing to be that only family or that one family or a couple of families to serve the family of God and encourage other families to come to a Bible-believing church. Yeah, there's a price to pay. And we say, I'm not going to let my children pay that price. You know that children with families attract other film, uh, uh, families with children attract other families with children. But people would rather go to a larger church that compromises the standards of God's word for the opportunity for their children to be in some activity. Activity is not the purpose of the church. And one of the things that I'm really thankful for is that when we came, there weren't that many children, but we have quite a few young children here, and we've got a nursery full of babies, okay? What a blessing. But let's, let's have the real purpose for being here on our, on our minds the most. Number six is non-biblical view of marital success. 
Often today, marriage success leaves out the husband sanctifying the wife like Christ sanctifies the church. Be good for us to read and study Ephesians chapter 5 here, but that isn't, uh, there isn't time for that. But you know, when the husband is doing what God told him to do, that doesn't always look so cheery and cute. Sanctification takes work and commitment. But the goal through the leadership of the husband is to glorify God, not just have a cute family or be a cute couple. The pain and the agony that goes on in many Christians' lives and homes is totally, really unnecessary. But it's there. As a husband and a father, God has an answer for you in the Word. In His Word, many times Christian husbands are told, you know what, you need to be a good leader. The leader that God wants you to be. And so a sincere man will go forward maybe in a service and he'll pray that God would make him a, that leader, but nothing seems to change. And the husband lives in defeat and discouragement and says, where is God? Why does he not help me? The simple answer is that God has already told you from his word how to be the leader he wants you to be. Most Christians think that if they ask God to forgive them for a sin, that that sin will just go away. But the reality is that it won't unless you use God's word to renew your mind. You can't just come and dedicate yourself to the Lord and then go out of here and continue to live the way you lived before. You've got to get in the Word. You've got to let it renew your mind, change your way of thinking. True biblical change comes when a person changes their thinking to God's way of thinking. The Bible calls it the renewing of your mind in Ephesians chapter 4. And when you change your thinking to God's thinking... Your behavior changes, and it does not change until then. So what we need is a biblical view of marriage success. And then the seventh area is families protect family members. Wow, do we ever see this taking place many times? Family members will shield their other family members from the convicting work of the Word of God through the church even. Often family members will give excuses for other family members so people won't think bad of them when in reality they're facilitating their disobedience to God's word. They're putting the family of God further down on their priority list. When it comes to the priorities in your life, where does your family fit into those priorities? Well, Let me say most lists probably look like this. God, my family, God's family, and then others. But you know what? Both Christ, uh, Scripture and Christian history reinforce the area that the idea that family of God should rank higher than the natural family. Well, you probably say, I don't see it that way. You know why I say that? It's because I've heard people say this. I love my family more than anything else in the world. Have you heard people say that? Maybe you've said it. Or maybe you've said, there isn't anything I wouldn't do for my family. Is that a good statement? Or my family is more important to me than anything in this world. May I kindly but firmly suggest your priorities are not scriptural? They do not follow the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Don't get me wrong, family is important. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, I love my family, but I need to love God more. I need to love God more. And when you got saved, you got born again, you were born into the family of God. Following Jesus meant you belong now to two families, a natural family and a faith family. And unlike his surrounding culture, what is most important to Jesus is his faith family. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 says, While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak to him. And then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto them that told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus said that. And so my priorities should look like this. God and his family, then my family, and then others. And that's a ranking that is tough for many people to take a hold of. It's hard for people to wrap their their heads around that because they've been putting their family first for so long because they think, you know, there's nothing more important than my family. And I understand what Jesus was talking about when I have these as my priorities, which I believe are priorities based upon God's Word. If God and His family take priority over our natural families, the problem of conflicting family loyalty really is solved. Because Jesus lived in a culture where family loyalty reigned supreme. If He intended to establish a new faith family, one which would take priority over His natural family, He would obviously have to challenge natural family loyalty time and time again during his earthly ministry, which he did. And we don't like the natural family being challenged. But that's what we find in the Gospels. That's what we'll find when we get to John chapter 11. While our natural families are still the most significant earthly relationships we have, we must learn to situate our natural families under the primary heading of the family of God. What's that mean? That we're going to serve God. We're going to do all we can to to bring our children to salvation. And then there won't be a problem, will there? Because they'll be in the family of God. So some of you are probably still saying, what are you saying, Pastor? Our family's not important? Should we not have family gatherings at Thanksgiving and Christmas? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I am telling you, or I'm not telling you not to love your families. I want you to love your families. I love mine. I'm not telling you to neglect your family. But don't worship your family. Worship God who has given you a family. And God has not only given you a father and mother, a sister, a brother, or cousins, and all the rest of your relatives. But if you're saved, you're a born-again person, you've been given another family. 
And that's the family of God. What a wonderful privilege it is to have brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, and it's a double blessing when your family members are brothers and sisters in Christ too. And again, I, don't, I hope you don't think I'm against the family because I'm not. Families are important here. We're, thank, we're thankful for children being born into our, our uh, uh, church. We're thankful for kids running around here. We're thankful for being able to have Sunday school classes and youth programs. But we're not going to worship the family. I'm sure many of you are doing this. But pray for your family. Pray for your children and your grandchildren. Plead with God to save them. To bring them into a place of obedience. You don't need to badger or belittle them, but you need to be a godly example to them. And give them the gospel as you have opportunity. But place God and His will above your family and what their desires are. And I believe family will have the proper priority in your life. Who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping God? You say, oh yeah, I'm worshiping God. Are you worshiping your family more? And I trust that even as we come to a season of family gatherings and so forth, we'll be mindful of this and we'll be understanding of what God's word has to say about it. Let's pray. Father in heaven.